Hello and welcome back to the Irish Football Fans Podcast. I'm Joseph McCarthy of the Irish Abroad website and I'm joined again by Mark Kennedy of Hawkeye Psychic and Philip Flanagan of the Bottomless Pit of Football. Uh, we're going to discuss the two final games in Ireland's Nations League campaign away to Scotland and then at home to Armenia. We're going to discuss the under-21s playoff against Israel, and we're going to give a mention to the opening round of the under-19s campaign for the 2023 uh, UEFA under-19 championships, which was held in, in Wales uh, over the last week and a half. Lads, it's good to talk to you again. It's It's been a little while. How are you both doing? Yeah, all good, Joe. Um, yeah, all good. Yeah, all good here. We're a bit rusty, as you can see. It's been a while. All good on my side. All right, so let's start with the senior men's team and their final two games in Group B1 of the UEFA Nations League. Uh, we went into our last two games uh, with a, a little bit of hope, a little bit of expectation. I know the the opening two games, obviously, as we discussed, were, well, they were terrible. Uh, losing to Armenia, losing to Ukraine put us right on the back foot, but... Uh, Possibly the best performance under Stephen Kenny to date against Scotland, and then a you know a fantastic goal by Nathan Collins in the one-all draw against Ukraine had put us hadn't put us back in attention of top in the group, but it looked like we were going to you know at least finish with a, with some pride uh, with a, a reasonable chance of finishing second. Before we headed to to Glasgow to Hamden, Scotland. Had to face Ukraine uh, and Judy beat them 3 0 three nights before uh, the boys in green took to the pitch. You know, we took the took the lead early, as we've done in uh, in other games, but you know, as especially as the first half went on, I kind of started to think that Scotland were getting back into the game. They definitely had more possession. Uh, we were struggling to get out of our half, and you know, it wasn't too much of a surprise when they did score uh, an equalizer through Jack Hendry. Mark, like, what were your impressions of that first half against Scotland? I mean, do you think we deserved the goal, but uh, do we give Scotland too much of possession to add to that? Good question, Joe. Initial impressions of the opening half was we played some quite good stuff. Granted, Scotland were very slow to start, I thought, very slow to start to settle. That Aaron Hickey and Kieran Tierney had a torrid time off James McLean and Matt Doherty. Loved Doherty, how he was rattling into Tierney, particularly on the aerial balls. And uh, to be honest, Joe, we were full value for 1-0. I mean, Tripar had a nice goal, chalked off, obviously, offside. But like the John Egan goal, for me, was well-deserved, you know. Um, but I suppose it's been a bit of a pattern here in terms of the Stephen Kenny managerial era here. We do give teams opportunities. Um, and particularly, I thought the last 10 minutes of that half, I thought Steve Clark, I thought his in-game management was absolutely first-rate. I think Tierney was struggling anyway, but hauled him off anyway before halftime. I think there was a bit more of cohesion there, particularly Callum McGregor was getting on the ball a little bit more for Scotland. Start figuring out her kind of midfield three a little bit. Overall, it was positive, I thought, Joe. But again, I had that niggling stuff in the back of my head that Scotland would have their little bit of a patch in the second half, really. But overall, 1-0, couldn't be much more happy, really, in a local derby game. Phil, looking back, uh, looking down through Scotland's results at home, you know the goal they conceded us was the only goal that they did concede at home, uh, but they won all three of their games at Hampden Park, so probably shouldn't be too surprised that they did manage to turn around. 
if a team creates a goal against you, if it results in good play, then you have to hold your hands up and say, look, you know what, it's a fair cop and, you know, they deserve that goal. But the penalty that we gave away and the time that we gave it as well away as well, coming in the 82nd minute, meant that we didn't have a lot of time to recover from it. You know, we've spoken before that one of the criticisms that we've had of Stephen Kenny is that uh, he hasn't seemed to have been able to make any substitutions or changes of tactics in a game to affect the outcome. Robbie Brady had come on and just after the penalty was uh, was scored and he actually did make one key pass in the game, but you know was it, it was kind of too little, too late. Uh, I think the the penalty had knocked the stuff out of the Ireland team and we didn't look like we were going to get an equaliser. No, I think the the overall approach to the game, like if you go back to how we, we started the game, the team that Kenny picked, the squad that he picked, how we started the game, would you change Anton? I think you'd find very little that you change and very few people that would have changed a lot. Like I think he probably picked the best team he could. Like if you look at that starting lineup, you know, one to eight, it's probably our strongest, probably our strongest keeper. It's definitely our strongest back line now. Darty's rust came to came to the fore in the second half, but you, you still would have picked him. I don't think we, we foresaw him being that bad in the second half, but he was just, he was leggy and he was tired. But overall, the approach was good. The midfield was good. It was exactly the midfield we wanted. You know, we've been crying out not to see the likes of Jeff Hendrick and Conor Horan in the team. And Cullen is our first first name on the team sheet, but there's the nice midfield around him. Partner Bafemi as well, who seemed to get on great against Scotland in the first game. They did well again in the first half. They linked up well. There was lots of running. So I wouldn't have changed anything. I think that we definitely underestimated Scotland because, as you said, they have a great they have a great record at home. And they've just come off the back of hammering the Ukraine. Like, they weren't great in the first half against the Ukraine, but, by God, they were good in the second half. So I think there was a lot of talk of us how we could top the group and all this, but we didn't really look at... A lot of people didn't look at kind of how good Scotland are at home. So I think overall we did really well to come back from the equaliser. Like the response was good, but I think the Scotland manager got it right in the second half. We didn't get it right. He brought on Fraser. They targeted Doherty. Could see Doherty was leggy early, like he was bad for the equaliser. So he could have done with hooking off a bit earlier. And I think bringing the three subs on probably destabilises more than it should have. And the, the penalty was just a knockout punch. We just couldn't come back from it. But overall, if you look at the start and the first half and the team and all that, like you wouldn't change much. You know, it was mentioned that the team was quite young. And uh, after the game, I, I ran the numbers. And, you know, with an average an average age of 24.8, it's one of the youngest starting 11s from Ireland in, in, in recent years. The, to go back to the Mick McCarthy's friendly against New Zealand in November 2019 to find uh, uh, the, the next previous team with a, with a younger age. And in, in terms of competitive games, you have to go all the way back to Cyprus in November 1980 to find a, a younger starting 11. Do you think that that inexperience cost them a little bit? I mean, if you look down through the, the Scotland team, there's a lot of seasoned veterans there. And, you know, the kind of players that know how to go out and win a game, whereas with us, you know, you're looking down through the, the, the list and you're looking for the kind of player that would be able to do that, the kind of players that know how to, you know, hold on to a one nil lead or, or even, you know, settle for a one-all draw. And maybe we're found a little bit lacking there. 
was that inexperience a factor in the result? You could say that, but again, I'd have you'd have to look at the manager. You'd have to look at the three subs. Like we were clearly getting not battled, but we were under the cost for a lot of the second half. And it's up to the manager to decide how he's going to fix that or what he's going to do to combat that. I don't think the three subs coming on all at once was a great idea because it just seemed to just totally destabilize the team. Nobody really knew what they were doing. Nobody knew what the game plan on it was. Like maybe just one sub or two subs or hold up the midfield, uh, maybe take off Knight or Malumbi and just bring on a centre midfielder. Like if you look at his subs where he brought on Coleman and Brown, the two subs, but maybe that was the time to bring on another centre midfielder and just try and keep the ball for a bit. But we didn't really try and do that. It was more hurried and rushed. You could point to the inexperience, but at the end of the day, we want to be playing these players, regardless of their age. We want this is the these are the players we want to be playing. Malumbi, Knight, the, the young lads at the back, the young lads up front. They're our best players at the moment. They're most skillful. And look, you only could see what happened the last night against Armenia. The older lads, they're not good enough to be relied on. So it's easy to say that, but I don't think it's I don't think it would have been the main cause. It's just Scotland at home with a head of steam. They just they got the goal. They probably deserved it in the end. I can't really fault them for the win. Uh, I think a draw wouldn't have been an unfair result, but a, a Scotland win, yeah, it probably was deserved over the the ninety minutes. One of the things that well we've as I mentioned that we've said on the podcast before is that Stephen Kenny doesn't know how to change tack in the middle of a game. Do you think that he'll have learned anything from from the change that he made in this game? and how it affected the result. It's a very good question, Joe. I suppose when you mention Stephen Kenny, you also have to mention the backroom staff that he has as well with him. And I mean, there's been an awful lot of toing and froing, likes of Anthony Barry, John Eustace. Don't tell me that that hasn't really caused ructions or destabilised stuff within the squad. But I mean, he has Keith Andrews and he has Stephen Royce there. They've been his kind of loyal lieutenants in these last two games. Suppose could provide a bit more freshness in the field, maybe a little bit earlier. It was a local derby game after 50, 55 minutes. But again, Stephen Kenny is very determined, isn't he, in terms of his ethos, believing in the players to deliver performances here. So I don't know. I think he's very steadfast in his approach and really trusting the young guys. And I suppose, Phil, going back to your point, school of hard knocks, really, isn't it? Results like... Hamden on Saturday night will really stand this group of Irish players, particularly the likes of Troy Parrott, who I thought played reasonably very well. It's unfortunate that one-on-one chance he had with Craig Gordon. You know, that's a game-changer for any international soccer fixture. That goal goes in, we're 2-1 up. Scotland are throwing the kitchen sink and we're going to hit them on the counter-attack. So it's fine little margins. So I think, Joe, going back to your question, I don't know. I think Stephen Kenny is very resolute in terms of his approach to the game and also his substitutions have been very rigid here you know he does seem to like to group substitutions together you can think of the Nations League game against Finland he threw three guys on as well in that game and that was early in his reign so he hasn't really deviated much has he he's nearly he's nearly too reactionary he doesn't he almost doesn't see what needs to be done before it needs to be done like you, well, you couldn't say that like obviously he took Malumbi off and we'll get to that during the Armenia game but if you look they brought Fraser on I'm just looking here. They brought Fraser on just around the hour mark. And you could see Dardy wasn't with it at that stage. You could see he was tired and he was getting leggy. 
Fraser came on, he, he switched wings a couple of times, but they really went at, they went at our left side. And it's not until 15, 16 minutes later that they decide to, to huff Doherty. Maybe if you're looking at Doherty, you're thinking an hour. He's got an hour in him because he's not been playing. I know there's all this talk, he's the fittest he's ever been, blah, blah, blah. But sharpness comes down to it as well. So maybe you're thinking, I've on the hour, I've got Seamus Coleman. We all agree that Seamus Coleman probably isn't good enough to be starting games now. But you will get half an hour out of Seamus Coleman. And he'll run up and down for a half an hour and he'll give you everything. And it's as good as Seamus Coleman will be for you. And it, it's a great asset to have. But maybe he should be looking to make that move before or when Fraser comes on. He should be looking at that and thinking, mm, here, they're going to have a go now with this side and maybe we should do something. So he's just a bit too reactionary. Brown came on from Malumbi. Brown's been playing like right wing back for us as well. So why not Hendrick? And I'm saying Horan now, but maybe that's why, because what happened the last night. But again, just the subs aren't the greatest. The in-game changes, they're either too slow or they're after the fact, I feel anyway. Like you noticed in Scotland, Lyndon Dykes was their focal point. They went local derby, 101 on it. They went his direct route. And when they suddenly realised that we were controlling an awful lot of second balls, the likes of the McTominay's, particularly Armstrong, I know he got taken off for Fraser. The likes of Christy McGregor, I thought, was very pivotal here, guys, particularly after minute 30. Got his foot on the ball a little more, and they started to exploit Doherty, particularly on that wing. And I don't think our midfield three here, central midfield three, really did know how to deal with McGregor a little bit because his passing range was causing us an awful lot of problems. But I think you have to give credit to Steve Clark and his management staff. They changed things up. They realised that the Lyndon Dykes option wasn't really working. So they kind of really did then start to try to pass through the lines, which Scotland are actually quite effective in doing, particularly in their World Cup qualification campaign. Once they have a bit of a cohesive passing unit about them, they're actually a quite a decent side to watch and actually very competitive. So I think they might have gotten caught with the fixture a little bit, Scotland, knowing the enormity of it, Republic of Ireland being a local derby game, and with the crowd as well, probably kind of ditched their game plan, which they're kind of known for now, which is a good passing side. So, you know, but they evolved, whereas we kind of had our game plan, very neat passing really involving part in Obafemi an awful lot, but we'd never really deviated here, and then we kind of s- surrendered that initiative on that equaliser. What a ball break of a goal, guys. I mean, after all the good work the first half, I mean, you just can't be giving away goals like that on international level, and we seem to be doing that very regularly now, straight after halftime. It was lazy. It was a lazy goal. Yeah. Like, if, that just... was, if, if you were a young fella playing amateur football, you'd be bollocks for that. Sticking the leg out, it's it's criminal. But it's 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 down to not, not being sharp enough. And, you know, we kind of said about Doherty here, but, again, I'd question Josh Cullen here. I'd question the central defenders here, realising big guy and Jack Hendry's up there. Like, there's no awareness here. There's no kind of communication that I can see here to close Hendry down. He's effectively a free header. Like, you know, he's waiting around for a number of seconds here for the goal. I mean, granted, the cross shouldn't really be that easy, but, again, it's that it's second ball, ball again, you know? It's ball watching. Once he goes by Doherty, they're, they're, everyone's watching the ball and not. And no one's reacting. We only had 40% of the possession in, in the game as well, which probably means that the results wasn't that much of a surprise, you know, looking at it from that that point of view. Looking down through the list of substitutes, I think Shane Duffy can possibly feel aggrieved to not have made an appearance as well. I, I mentioned this back in June when I reviewed 
the four fixtures then that I think his his leadership at the back might be missing. I know that he hasn't been playing much now for the for his loan club Fulham, and I know that you know it's a classic case of a player is never better than when he's not playing. And hindsight is twenty twenty, and all the other cliches you want to think of, but possibly bringing him on with, you know, ten minutes to go, barks out a few orders, wins balls in the air. Uh, you'll have even his presence on the pitch might have, you know, given everyone around him that little bit of a boost, a little bit of a pick me up, and we see out the game and get a one all draw, which it's not a bad result uh, against uh, against Scotland. It's not a bad result in Hamden either. So. The reaction after the game was that it was a good performance, a disappointing result, and that we would look to build from that in our last game of the campaign against Armenia. I think there was a revenge element to it as well after we lost the opening game in Yerevan back in June, uh, a game that we went into likewise expecting to win and win quite comfortably. And the early goal that we got after only 18 minutes, John Egan scoring, uh, for the second game in a row, and in the same in the same minute uh, as he scored against Scotland, the 18th minute, coming up to half time, absolutely cruising. Okay, Armenia were sitting back and inviting us onto them, and we weren't really creating too many clear cut chances, but likewise we weren't giving anything up either. And when Michael Obafemi scored uh, his second long range strike of the campaign, to everyone in the stadium thought, well, okay, two 0 we've got the win, we've recovered from that loss in, in Yerevan. You know, let's just see it out. But then there was five minutes of absolute chaos, let Armenia back into the game. And suddenly it's two all again. Armenia are in the ascent. They're playing with absolute freedom. They have nothing to lose. And Ireland are struggling to string two passes together. I mean, Mark, we've been watching football long enough to see some crazy stuff. But um, this really was a new one. Kind of was, to be perfectly honest. I've not seen it before in an international game, really. I know you could say there's nothing to be played for here, given that uh, Scotland were getting their result against Ukraine. But to be fair, uh, Joe, maybe warning signs were seen here after around 60 minutes. Now, Jason Malumby, for me, was working very energetically along the pitch, linking up play very well, passing range great, gets a yellow card. Realistically, second yellow card here. Let's be brutally honest. He pulls back the Armenian. This could have been far worse for Ireland here, down to 10 players. Because there was certain cohesion issues in that midfield area from, I thought, minute one. But particularly the, the Doherty wing here really didn't light up at all during the game with Hendrick. It seemed to be a bit of an imbalance here, a little bit. An awful lot of good work was coming from Daryl Shea, Robbie Brady, Jason Knight's wing here. But there was just a, a little bit of an imbalance for me Josh Cullen's absence huge. Malumbi comes off. Horhan comes on. There's no work for it. I don't know, guys, you were in the stadium. The word will filter through in terms of the under-21s in the penalty shootout because there did seem to be quite a lull before the Armenian goal. It just seemed that there was a bit of energy kind of taken out of the game and maybe you just kind of got into the pitch a little bit, particularly that midfield area where... The press wasn't as aggressive for Armenia seemed to be getting a little bit more of the ball, but I don't know, you were both at the game. Did you feel that there was a bit of a kind of a lull there before the Armenian goals went in? Well, for me, I know at halftime when I stepped out away from my seat, I was watching the under-21s on the TVs that are dotted around the stadium. And as the game in Israel went into 
uh, extra time and eventually the penalties, I stayed watching the game and I didn't go back to my seat. I was keeping an eye on things. And it was, sorry, to tell you where I was standing, the area was, yeah, it was, there was still a good crowd of people standing there. And nobody really wanted to go back until we had seen the results in the under-21 playoff. And we're, we're going to discuss that later as well. I did turn around in time to see uh, Michael Obafemi's goal. And, you know, that was that was when I thought, OK, it's 2-0. The result has been decided here in Dublin. You know, I'm going to focus now on what's happening in Israel in uh, Bloomfield Stadium. And when the penalty shooter had finished, there was a disappointing set of, you know, spot kicks from the Irish team. And people were going back to, you know, there was a collective groan of, uh, you know, when it when it did end. And I think everyone who went back to their seats after that kind of brought that energy or lack of energy with them. And then, you know, letting people know around you who are sitting, yeah, you know, under 21s out in penalties and everyone's a bit disappointed. Um, and it was kind of hard to lift your spirits again after that. But I don't know if th- that, that doesn't excuse uh, what we saw, the, especially the first goal again. I think that's actually Nathan Collins' role in, in it. He deserves a, a decent amount of criticism for it. Like when, when the goalkeeper releases the Armenian player, he's standing on the halfway line and by the time he realises that there's actually danger here and he's left a huge gap between John Egan and Matt Doherty um, and he's you know he's racing back to get uh, to cover that space. Uh, when Bazunu makes his initial save, palms the ball onto the post, we get really lucky that the Armenian number 11 is standing right there and doesn't react in time uh, to make contact with the ball because otherwise he'd have had an easy tap-in. But likewise, Collins, who had just arrived beside him, doesn't react in time to put the ball out for a corner. Uh, and I think the ball actually goes under. It, it's kind of hard to tell from the, the the videos that I've seen. The ball either goes under his foot or he makes an air kick and completely missed it. And then the Armenian that comes in behind him, Dashian, his shot is actually obscured from Bazunu's view by Collins. And Bazunu actually does quite well to recover from the initial shot, to get back up, and then to dive for the second, for the follow-up. But, you know, everyone, it, it sucked even more of the energy out of the stadium. And suddenly, the old cliche came back. Goals change games. Armenia are, you know, suddenly start playing with a bit of swagger. They've already beaten us. They know they can beat us. And you're kind of going, well, look, if there's a if there's a penalty in this game, if there's a, a long shot from distance, where which we have shown to be, a week from, you know, they could come back in, and they did, and it's two goals in in less than four minutes, and suddenly we're back level uh, with 15 minutes to go against a team who's suddenly playing a really good brand of football, and whereas we're just punch drunk out on the pitch, and it could go either way. Well, Joe, they were playing football, we weren't playing anthem. Yeah, like it was so annoying. Sorry to put across you there. They weren't. They were. They were just playing football as you said we were just dro- stunned totally doing nothing but even that second ball joe dashian's who's following up from midfield you know there's no sense of awareness it's again it's that team again from hamden park particularly jack henry's goal you know it's that awareness you know you have to be switched on for 90 minutes or 90 plus minutes in international football like there's no easy touches you know a cliche upon cliche here but again armenia showed in june bank holiday weekend what they were capable of in terms of their footballing ability, 
we've called this out in the podcast when this Nations League fixtures were announced. Armenia are a very good technical side. And if you give them space, they will absolutely exploit you. And I don't know, the, the player attitude here for me, even from the Obafemi goal, 52nd minute, I think an awful lot of the players thought game over. Armenia haven't had a kick here. They're just going to accept their defeat here. But again, if you switch off here in international football, these things will happen. And what happened for the second Armenian goal? My God, lads. International. It's an, an embarrassment, really, to be fair. You know, given some of the personnel involved here and the goal here that, you know, have been so consistently reliable for Ireland. A bit of leadership was required. And again, you, you've been talking about the experience. Was it 24.8 years you said there, Joe? For the Scottish game, I mean, maybe yeah. there is a bit of a lack of experience here. Um, the goal goes in. Let's calm it down here for five, ten minutes. You know, hold what we have and then build up again. But no, I don't know if we want to talk about Armenia second goal really right now. It was the strangest game because the atmosphere before the game was brilliant. I was actually texting a group of lads and I was saying, "Geez, it's abs- it's happening here for a Tuesday night." Like. The tunes were banging, like everyone was in good spirits. I think a lot of people thought this game was going to be a lot harder than what it turned out to be in the first half. The game kicked off. Armenia went straight to a back five, and there was five on top of them, and there wasn't 15 yards between them, 10 yards. And you could see for minute one, that's it. They're just going sitting in. They're not doing anything. They didn't get a kick. They did not get a kick for that first half. It nearly bored the shite out of the stadium. That's why the atmosphere was so bad. We got the goal, and it was like a training game. Malumbi was playing a six. He's obviously still learning. The pace was too slow. Hendrick was kind of playing right side midfield. It was The back and forth was too slow. You look at top teams when they're moving the ball side to side. It's quick, quick, quick passes. But we weren't playing quick passes. We were playing it in front of the Armenian defence. Ball will come up. It'll come up to Brady or it'll come up to Hendrick. Doherty wouldn't really overlap. There'd be two or three passes on the right side, outside their box. The ball would be worked back again. It was just, it was ponderous, but we were two goals up in the second half. So I think that's where the lull from the, the crowd came. And then obviously the under-21s as well. But if you're 2-0 up, you, you just see out the game. There's no need to go and get more goals. You're 2-0 up. Maybe that's just a thing Kenny has in the back of his head. Oh, we really need to go out and hammer a team like Scotland have or Ukraine have because we need to show people that we're this attacking team that I want us to be. 2-0 up, shut up shop, take off a man if you need to, hit them on the break, let them come at you. We didn't do any of that. Didn't, I'm looking here, Scotland played them on the 8th of June. They were 2-0 up at half time. They won 2-0. They had 72% of the possession over the game. They had six shots on target. The 27 shots altogether. That's how you close out a game. You go two goals up, you shut up shop, you hit them on the break. And we didn't do it. And we look at Malumbi, obviously he was rash. He doesn't know how to play six fully. But when Connor Horan is the option instead of Malumbi, I can see why Malumbi got the shot. Because Connor Horan came on, and I've never been a fan of Connor Horan. You know I've never been a fan of him. He should never put on a senior jersey again after that. He's a nothing player. He was absolutely, he was a disgrace. And for the first goal, he had the ball about 40 yards outside the box in the Armenian half. And he, I don't even know, was it a cross? He basically just kicked it to the Armenian keeper from 40 yards out, who collected it and then started the move for the first goal as well. 
So it didn't feel like a win at the end of it. I was delighted for Robbie Brady, but the whole thing was was a disaster. And it just shows you we don't have the players there that we can rely on in the midfield, the senior players. Like, I totally agree with your point, Joe, about bringing Duffy on and against Scotland. I was glad he didn't start. But obviously, if you bring him on with 20 minutes to go, same as, same as Coleman, you could rely on them. They're, they're leaders. Horan's not a leader. Hendrick's not a leader. They're not going to G up the team. They're not going to sort the midfield out. They're not going to dictate what happens with 20 minutes to go. And that was sorely lacking. And it was lacking from the sideline as well. It should be shut up shop after 2-0. And that's it. And you've got your win. And that's the end of the group. And we've won. We've ended the group on somewhat of a high. But no, the total shit show. That's my rant for the night. Sorry. I don't think Horan is a bad player. I don't think he's a good player, but I don't think he's a bad player. And he's I think he was player. a bit... I think I know. I think he was a bit brainless. And like, he's why, why? Why bring on him? Okay, I, I know why he was brought on. He was brought on so Jason Malumbi wasn't sent off. But you know, Alan Brown was there, and he could have come on and done the same thing. Horahan tried to play his normal game, which is crosses into the box. Now, at his club, he's got Dave McGoldrick to aim at, who's a classic target man. But we don't have a target man in the squad, and we didn't have a target man on the pitch in uh, at that time and so why was he suddenly playing the kind of balls that you need you know a six foot four number 10 to get on the end of i've never seen a player less tuned in when he's come on for a football game yeah. ever i've never seen it it was like he didn't know where he was what he was meant to be doing do you remember the, the quick free kick yeah what, what was that like that just shows you how absolutely brainless he is and what then was he the... throws his hands up in the air well, yeah. the Armenians are, are taking the ball and, and driving up the pitch. It was the kind of break in the game where you put your foot in the ball. All right, lads, let's reset. Let's We've worked on set pieces in training. Let's execute plan, whatever, plan, plan X. But instead, it was just taken quickly. Nobody was set up to receive the ball to execute the set piece or the set play. Uh, and suddenly, we're, you know, we're, uh, we've lost possession again. And, OK, look, like I've said, I don't think he's a bad player. I don't think he's a good player, but I don't think he's a bad player. But his involvement in the second goal, the second Armenian goal, probably will end his Irish career. Because if you go back and look at it, he basically passed the ball straight to the opposition. It's You can't even tell who he's trying to pass to. It might be Doherty. He's not on screen. And the ball, the pass itself was just, you know, there was no power behind it. There was no direction in it. And you have to imagine that the Armenian players were kind of asking themselves for a second, you know, are we being lulled into a false sense of security here? And suddenly then we've conceded another goal from that area on the pitch that we've identified as a weakness before, just between the centre defender of the three and the right-sided defender with a shot from outside the area. In the competitive games under Stephen Kenny, we've conceded seven shots from outside the box and four of them have come from that little square just, you know, between the D and the edge of the box and the edge of the penalty area between the central defender and the, the right side of the back three. I mean, is, is we've there some it. sort of instruction there to, to not go out and challenge these players? Because there has, because there. that's what it looks like to, yeah. to, to use the low block, nearly like what Liverpool do. They will not go out and, and, and take a player on in, out around the D. They'll stand and they'll let them have a goal because Allison's behind them. Like, is that something that they're that we're doing? Because it's just, it's just happening too often. 
and and there's never if you go back and look at the Luxembourg goal, the Armenian goals, and it was the other can't remember what the other goal was. I can't remember anybody Oops. rushing out and sliding or even rushing out to meet to meet these players. If they're afraid of leaving space behind. Okay, fair enough. But the other side of it is we're given the impetus or we're to the opposition and inviting them to take that shot where they know they've got a, a pretty good chance of scoring. I did ask the question on, on foot.ie, if Malumbi is still on the pitch, do we does that goal get conceded? On the other hand, if Malumbi is still on the pitch, does he get sent off trying to get the ball away from uh, from the Armenian player? Yeah, it's it's, it's an interesting moment Malumbi does, you know what I mean? I thought there was an awful lot of good elements in his play, particularly on Tuesday night. Again, I think, again, massive learning curve for him in terms of international football. That first card is just, it's such a rash challenge. I think he sold a little bit short, I think, off Hendrick, was it? Uh, who I thought might have had a better chance of maybe competing for the ball. But Malumbi took this, the ownership of the situation, I suppose. <laughs> if you can take a positive out of the other card, he, he was actually looking to win the ball, but I mean, you're walking tightrope. Like, I mean, Joe, like the Armenian players were incensed. At that stage, that referee is sending Malumbi off if he even breeds on another Armenian player. So I think the management had to take him off. But it does, I think, expose an awful lot of frailties in that middle middle tree for us, really. The Josh Cullen is our first name on team sheet. Philip, you said that repeatedly in this podcast. But I think, for me, it's the Hendrick Knight element here. We passed the ball very... Like, side to side, it's great. But I'd like to have seen Hendrick, you know, drive a bit, kind of from deep, you know, when he runs from deep. I remember the guitar game. I know it's guitar and everything else. But, like, there was no sense of that. You know, tripart likes ball to feet. That didn't really happen too much either. There was no real variation here in that middle, central midfield third, really. It was very much pass-pass. And then Robbie Brady, Jason Knight, Darrow O'Shea, give us an overlap here. So I was a little bit disappointed in that midfield three, and I think if anything comes out of it from the backroom management and Stephen Kenny here, I think it's who do we have in that midfield three that really can do a proper job for us, someone who can defend, press, but obviously we do need creativity there in that midfield, you know, that willing runner that's going to really link in with the other families, the Pirates of this world, even the Adamidas, you know, this sort of thing. We didn't really see that, did we, on Tuesday night? for like a Hendrick or a Knight really linking up play with Obafemi and Parrot really because they were creating chances virtually on their own, I thought, at times. Was well, Hendrick asked to do a job that he can't do, which is replace Josh Cullen, who's a classic central defensive midfielder, whereas I felt that Hendrick always plays best facing the opponent's goal and driving forward. Uh, I don't know if he has the discipline to play that defensive role. And I did notice that after the first Armenian goal, Egan is incensed. He's gesturing at two players. I think it's Hendrick and Doherty, but, um, or maybe Hendrick and, and Hurahin, because Hendrick, when Bazuna makes a save and the ball comes off the back off the post, Hendrick actually stops moving. He stops, he's making his way back to goal, but he's, once the ball hits the post, he stops, yeah. uh, which again gives the Armenian player you know, another half a second of possession. I'm not saying if he keeps going, then, you know, it stops the goal. But if he doesn't have it, his mentality to act in a defensive manner, you know, why was he been asked to play a defensive role? Or why was he been asked to replace uh, a defensive 
player? I think it might be a better question. And again, why was Alan Brown not introduced instead of uh, Horton? Like Hendricks come in for his worst criticism after Glenn Whelan left the team and he slotted in as, the, as that six there in front of the defence. And like it's not his position and he can't play it really because he's just not good enough. He's not mobile enough even, I'd say, even though he likes to get forward. But at the end of the day, we had to take Malumbi off. So who do you put there? You either put Hendrick, Horahan or Brown. Brown can't play there. Horahan definitely can't play there. So it's it's the best of a bad pick, basically. We had no one else. So he's had to slot in there. Like there was no one else to go into that position. God, would you even consider Nathan Collins being pushed into that defensive position? Maybe bringing in Shane Duffy or someone like that. He's the football ability, like. Yeah, well, there's always the fact that we were 2-0 up. Like, formations can change, and he could have changed it in-game. These players are all used to playing four at the back as well. I know quite a lot of our players do play with the three at the back, but they can all play four at the back. Like, And another thing that's not been mentioned, and a name that hasn't been mentioned on the pod tonight is, we were 2-0 up at an hour with, I'd say, Parrot and Obafemi were both kind of tired, and none of them looked too wrecked. But you're 2-0 up. You've got Giosi Bene on the bench. Bring him on. Put the ball into the channel for him. Run them ragged. They have to come out at you. Use what's on your bench wisely. He didn't even come on. And he's in good form as well for Rotherham playing in the cha- and scoring the championship. Yeah. He's exactly what you, the kind of player you'd bring on with 2-0 up. You think, well, they're knackered now and they have to keep coming out. So let's throw Benny up. We'll, not, we'll, we'll knock a few balls onto him and we'll let him run, the, run them ragged. And if it does anything, it keeps the ball in their half. He came on against Scotland for Obafemi, which I felt was a strange substitution to make because I thought Obafemi was probably our best player uh, at that time. Oh, maybe he was tiring, maybe he signaled to the bench, but I thought you know Parrot was slightly more likely to come off. He came on as the substitute for the wrong player against Scotland, and then he didn't come on at all against Armenia, um, which is again a strange decision from the manager. Yeah, completely horse for courses here, uh, Joe. I think. I think you hit nail on the head here, you know. But again, was there any variation in our play really in that middle middle third? Really, we just passed side to side. There was really I didn't remember too many times when Partner Buffemi were getting balls, quick balls in behind. You know, maybe that's anti Kenny Patron football, but it seems to be yeah. play to feet. Is there something to be said for Kenny not wanting to? see his team sit back at home in front of 41,000 to 2-0 up because he might think that people might say it's defeatist or look at he's closing up shop or it's not the way we should be going. Whereas you have a team like Scotland who do exactly that. You didn't hear anything about the Scotland game. They won 2-0. That was it. Job done. Just nice and easy. That was it. But do you think there's, there was something in it where Kenny was saying, well, no, we can't sit back at 2-0. We can't just close up or, or try and hit them on the break. It'll look like we're giving them more respect than we should. We should be going out and we should be hammering these. Does that come into his substitutions? Does that come into the way he manages the game? Because I certainly think it does, because we didn't seem to have the confidence to just sit back and maybe try and hit them on the break. Not the confidence, but we didn't seem like we wanted to at all. Whereas we probably should have, because he said it himself in the, the post-game press conference, we were going for the third goal all the time. Well, that's up to you to say, don't go for the third goal, sit back. Hit them on the break. Yeah, let them so, come on to you. I mean, and that was yeah, like that's that's him basically saying, well, you know, he's basically given us a, a little, an insight into his lack of direction that he that he didn't give to the team. Yeah, I suppose we have to talk about what happened at the end of the game now, which 
as I remarked to the lad I went to the game with, in time there will be theses or thesi written about the last five minutes of that match because it made absolutely no sense at all. There was a handball, and I'm not debating that, but the corner kick that came before it shouldn't have been given. That was uh, I kick. haven't seen the, the highlight of that, Joe. Sorry, but that because that was up the other end. No, I don't think it was. Uh, it was yeah. I was at that end of the pitch, uh, but at the opposite corner, and to me it looked like the ball had gone straight out from the cross and that the Armenian player hadn't touched it, but the ref gave the corner. I think that was the Armenian argument in the post-match press conference that the corner shouldn't have been given in the first place. They weren't arguing the awarding of the penalty because it was a clear handball. But I think another grievance that they could have had about it, and I think a grievance that we all have with VAR, is that it takes so long for the referee to be alerted to an incident that he's missed. I mean, play had gone totally down the other end of the pitch, um, and it looked like Ireland were going to have to defend uh, another attack from Armenia when the ref blew and announced that he was there was a call for a VAR review. And then the penalty is awarded. Uh, the Armenian players protested vociferously to the point where two of them are sent off. And like yourself, I'm absolutely delighted to see him scoring again for Ireland. He's had a, a terrible run with injuries. He seems to be enjoying his football uh, now with Preston. He's got back into the, the national side and he's marked his return with a goal. But... The other side of it is we shouldn't need a penalty awarded by VAR five minutes after the event at home in the last minute of a game to beat Armenia. Uh, And even after the penalty, after the goal, Armenia looked like they might create something with nine men (laughs) at home against Ireland. We just didn't have the the know-how the ability, the nous, whatever you want to call it, to see the, the game out. And there was a sense of almost relief when the final whistle did blow. I mean, watch it in the stadium. You, you, I was struggling to understand what had happened. I missed one of the red cards. Uh, Mark, I don't know what, how they reacted to it on TV, but I mean, it must have been absolute disbelief. Pretty much. I think from an Armenian perspective, look at the, look at the context of how the game has gone. I repeat the Jason Malumbi, that second yellow card. That's a that's a huge call in the context of this game, really. To be fair, from an Armenian perspective, there's a historical context of the fixture between these two sides, probably a decade ago, where they felt they were absolutely well and truly robbed in Dublin um, before. So I think there's a bit of that going on now as regards VAR and everything else. Fair enough, penalties given. But look at our response after that two all draw. It was just literally set piece, hoping for a corner, and then a bit of a kick around. You know, we'll hack a goal in here. The shape of our side literally fell apart. It fell apart in the last twenty minutes. You know, and you could see the manager. There was they panned to Stephen Kenny repeatedly. He looked like a deer in headlights here, guys. There was no reaction. Seemed to be stunned. There was no real kind of foresight talking to Keith Andrews and Stephen Rice. This is the, the element here that I feel Stephen Kenny, to a certain is exposed by his backroom staff, that nobody's really talking to him. He seems to be on his own consistently in that dugout, and he seems to be making calls. I don't see where Keith Andrews and Stephen Rice, to be perfectly honest, are inputting here and in-game management, because everything that did work for in the first 45 minutes 
it got truly abandoned when we went to all. It seemed as if the team just literally rolled up and says, right, we're going to get a, a result here, hook by crook. Fair enough, we get the, the force of VAR. The life of Robbie Brady was a fantastic strike given the protests. It was about five, six or minute, six minutes before he could take that penalty. Like, other lesser guys would have skied that over. So, I mean, from Robbie Brady's perspective, perfect. But, as he said, the immediate kickoff, like, Armenia had a three, a three on two in our midfield. Our midfield area was absolutely gone at this stage. I mean... Where are we going here, guys? I mean, it just feels that we have a soft underbelly in this squad right now. And regardless of the players and stuff, every opposition that we play know that they can get to us. They can get to us in midfield at certain stages of the game. So we don't give the fear factor out here. We're a very nice side now to actually watch and probably play against because it's all in front of the opposition. So again, I think Armenia... Came away very frustrated because I'd said there was an awful lot of regret in that Armenian performance. They didn't show for the first 60 minutes. And then they grew into the game. And then the two goals spring. spring. Remember this Armenian manager is in fierce pressure as well. According to TV commentary here that he may be gone after the Nations League. So again, the players, they may have been kind of at 60 minutes out, this manager is gone. But they sensed it from the Republic of Ireland performance that they were there for the taking. So... I think, That's... Joe, all in all, it really raises more questions and concerns and concerns here. Heading into the Euros and the qualification there, because we may get a stinker of a draw here. So we're realistically kind of thinking that we're going to qualify here if we can't that, even get the job done against Armenia. Point. That's an interesting point about the Armenian manager being under pressure and they got one less win than us in the group. Yeah. He's, he's under pressure. But just to go back to your point, I'd love to see camera footage of... Kenny, I know apparently he was like, he was just standing there doing nothing, but they were shell-shocked. Someone needed to grab Stephen Kenny and shake him or slap him or throw a glass of water in his face for him to react because none of them seemed to do anything. And if we were in Armenia's position now, rage and wouldn't even come into it, we'd be full-on conspiracy mode. Centre midfielder absolutely should have been sent off come back from 2-0 down and get r- clearly robbed if that ball, if that wasn't a corner. And the excuse being, VAR can't go back that far, which means we know we fucked up, but we can't amend it. You'd be raging. Yeah. More questions than answers as usual, I think. Yeah, I think so too. You know, Mark, you mentioned the, the coaching staff there. Do you think that having lost John Eustace and Anthony Barry already, Plus, if you want to go back even further, Damien Dolph and, and Alan Kelly has done maybe uh, more long-term damage than we thought. And having to bring Stephen Rice away from his duties as the opposition scout and in as a, co- a temporary coach um, has cost the team. I mean, we're still looking at replacing John Eustace, who's uh, stepped aside you know, in the summer. Brian Barry Murphy at Manchester City was mentioned don't know how he'd feel about managing City's underage side and working as a coach then with the international team. But I think it would be an interesting selection. I think we do need someone else beside the manager just to tell him what he's doing right and what he's doing wrong. Uh, because I don't know if there's anyone in the setup he has at the moment that's going to do that. And like Phil said, after every game, after every double or triple or quadruple header, we're hoping to know more about this team and we learn more, but we seem to have more questions every time. 
I suppose going back to your Stephen Rice comment here, Joe, I think definitely it has hindered us. You know, that extra set of eyes, ears, you know, to literally provide some nose and experience. I still think, you know, Keith Andrews there and Stephen Rice, there was Dean Kiley there as well. You saw them in their little plasma screen. Everything was happy and everything else. But you see the top managers, they have lieutenants, which they talk to when things are not going well. I don't see that with this setup with Stephen Kenny. I feel Stephen Kenny at times is left tang to dry. It's up to you to solve this problem. Now, you're probably closer to Viva Stadium on Tuesday night than I was watching it today. But I got that notion when I was at the Scotland game. Even then, there's a distance between Stephen Kenny and the rest of the backroom staff. You know, he's kind of encouraging the players, whatever. But still, there should be time for him and the backroom squad to be a, a cohesive unit. I don't see that in this backroom staff and Stephen Kenny right now. And I think that's reflecting on the pitch as well. You've been talking about Horahan kind of putting in crosses here, impossible crosses in. Is that the game plan just in complete and utter chaos at the moment? That certain players get it, certain players don't. And then if certain players don't get it, they go to prototypes. So I think from that perspective, another backroom staff coach needs to be installed as soon as possible here. If we are going to do FAI reviews and stuff like that, that has to be a key critical point. Now, John Hughes has left for Birmingham June, July. Yeah, before the Nations League. I was stunned. I was stunned that there wasn't anyone or even higher within here. I know Stephen Rice. Like, Stephen Rice took one for the team here, guys. He did both opposition analyst and also coaching as well. So, like, opposition analyst work is no joke here. Like, the hours upon hours that you're analysing game tape on opposition, plus more hours than literally doing preparation for players coming into training camp. So, I mean, Stephen Rice has been doing outrageous kind of outstanding hours here for the background staff, but that's unsustainable. So I think Stephen Kenny has to really kind of come up and FEI have to come up with a solution here in terms of backroom staff and how they're going to improve going forward. Now, how many campaigns have we been talking about this in terms of in-game management and backroom staff cohesion here? Just feel, you know, all these disruptions, Anthony Barry, John Hughes, we're kind of getting reset again. You know, Keith Andrews is there in the background. He's been constant. Dean Kylie has come in for Alan Kelly. Damien. But there's always been that instability within that backroom staff. And if you're a player coming into that setup, that environment, nothing is stable here. So, you know, if issues do manifest itself, they're going to explode a little bit more compared to something when there is a bit of a stable backroom staff that you can know and trust. I think it's very telling that we haven't managed to put a coach in place for these two games. Yeah. I think it's it's become harder. And to be honest, looking at the, the way the pots have shaped up for the Euro qualifying draw, this is going to sound probably a bit harsh, but I think the fact that it was mentioned today, actually, on, on I was listening to another podcast, and I hadn't realised it. It's been over two years since we've had a sponsor. And I think coupled that with finding it fairly difficult to get a quality coach in as well, I think a lot of people see this train only going one direction and that's off a cliff. Now, I would have given us a half-decent shot of qualifying for Euro 2024, depending on what pot we were in. But looking, the draw is on the 9th of October. So you're probably going to be, you're either in a five or a six-team group. I know we're kind of jumping on to Euro 2024 here, but I have a point. So if we look at pot one, Holland, Hungary, Denmark, Spain, Portugal, Italy, Belgium, Croatia, Poland, Switzerland, right? 
we're not taking more than two points off any of those teams. Anyone who says we are, they're deluded. They haven't a clue what they're on about because they're all top teams. Switzerland beats Spain. Holland yep. are contenders to the World Cup. Hungary have tanked England. Like, we're not. We're not taking more than two points off any of them. If we go down to pot two, France, possibly Austria, we could take a few points off. Czech Republic, England, no. Wales, possibly. Israel, possibly. Bosnia, Serbia, possibly. Scotland, possibly. Finland, possibly. If you gave me money now and said, who are we taking four points off from pot two? There's not a lot I'd back. Basically, I'm looking here at the match days for the Euro qualifying. Match day five is between the 7th and the 9th of September. I can guarantee you now, and you can save it, we'd have a new manager or we'd be looking for a new manager by then. I think I can't see it happening. I no, I think... This. If he gets I off think, to a bad start, he's done. No, I think he'll be given to the end of the campaign. But, uh, not, but no, that'll be it. No, I think not a, not a chance. No, uh, okay. we were meant. To, we were. I personally, this is just what I believe. We were meant to win. He the the goal was to win the Nations League group. Yeah, that's he and, said that before. before he says before the Nations League group, the goal was to qualify for the World Cup, and then at the end of the World Cup qualifying, he turns around and he says, "Oh no no, we've been really looking down the road at the Nations League, and that's where we want to be, and that's what we want to win." And everyone kind of went, and we did at the time, we went, oh, right, really, okay, I thought it was kind of about the World Cup, but fair enough, okay, we'll give you the Nations League, that's what you're obviously, okay, fair enough, that's what you're going for. And now it's the Euro 2024 qualifying. If we get off to a bad start in that group, he's got Norway, he's got Malta, and he's got three to four games max in that group. If he doesn't get a good win in one of those games, he's dust. Now, I'm not pro or anti-Kenny. It's something I can just see happening. And, And that's that's you're talking about nearly a year away. It's a long time in football. A lot of people yeah. change jobs. A lot of things happen. A lot of players come and go. If he hasn't got it right by then, he's never getting it right. I've never felt that at any point in his tenure that he's been secure in the job. You never felt that you could say he's definitely going to be here in 12 months. Like even at the beginning, you know, we went on that horrible run where we couldn't win. We couldn't score. His first goal was a late header equaliser from Shane Duffy and everyone kind of said well that's not much different than what we've been watching for the last six years and then we didn't score again for more than a year until we scored against Serbia and the longer that goal scoring or that not goal scoring run went on the more it felt like he just wasn't suited international football for me he just didn't seem to be able to organise the team we weren't getting the results we weren't getting wins we were scraping the odd draw and every positive performance portugal serbia seemed to be followed by an absolute disaster you know luxembourg azerbaijan you know andorra scored against us i uh, having said all that i do think he will be given to the end of the campaign it's rare for the ireland or for the fai to sack a manager in the middle of a campaign i know what happened to staunton i know what happened to trapatoni but well, that's two out of our last how many managers? It's two, yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah, that's fair, that actually. Yeah. Um, and and at this stage, he'll be in in the job. He'll be in the job over if if he was to stay till the end, he'd be in the job over three years. Yeah, and he'd have had four campaigns. Four campaigns, and and pot potentially not getting close. We haven't been close, which is fair enough. I'm willing to say that's fine. The campaigns that have gone, that's fine. We didn't get, you've, you've been doing the dog work. We've been going through that tunnel. You've been sorting everything out. And Euro 2024, here we go. This is what it's about. Get us get us close. Get us in the conversation. 
we want to be going into the last game in the group with a chance of getting to the playoff at least. But if we don't get that in the next campaign, it's adios. Yeah, I think and, and, it's, and it's thanks aside. for bringing all the players through, but yeah. it's goodbye. And that was something you know I said last year that his long-term legacy could be the introduction uh, uh, of these promising young players, giving them experience at senior international level and preparing them for whoever his successor turns out to be. Absolutely. And if it's a case where you look at Collins in a year's time, you look at Collins in a year's time, you look at Malumbi, you look at Knight, who's probably going to move away from League One, you look at all these young players and you think you're, you're going to start thinking, is there a manager out there who'll get more out of these players? And I think people already think that, but I'm still willing to 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 leave him in charge. And I still think he could do a good job for us in the in the groups. But if we get a if we get off to a bad start, there's going to be someone else who's going to be able to do a better job. Okay, definitely, told lads. The FEI have to play a huge involvement here in this review of the Nations League. I think we've kind of really highlighted the the, the good. There has been good, but there has been the bad and the very ugly here. I think it has to be a very critical analysis of everything that has gone on here in terms of that campaign. You know, unfortunately, there's been unexpected departures in Anthony Barry, John Hustis. But again, surely the FEI will be having a review with Stephen Kenny in the next few weeks just to see where do we go from here, what the improvements are required here. I mean, we're probably talking about the under-21s next. But there's a nice tranche of players there looking to kind of get their opportunity here. So, um, but yeah, I think the FAI definitely have to be critical here. They have to set tangible goals for Stephen Kenny now going into the Euro qualification. I'd agree with you guys. I think he will get the opportunity to lead and manage the side for the Euro qualification. But as I said, they may get a stinker here. So then what is the objective? What is the goal here? Like if you're to evaluate his Nations League performance, given his comments at the start of the tournament, where we're going to be competitive and win the group, then mission wasn't accomplished here. So what is the reset button here for Stephen Kenny in this European qualification campaign? Because I think realism has to really kind of kick in now. Do you think that the FAI's finances will play a part in this as well? I mean, we don't have Dennis O'Brien paying the manager's wages anymore. And like you said, they still don't have a sponsor for the senior team. Can the FAI afford to pay off Stephen Kenny plus his backroom staff? Can they afford to bring in... You know, a top-class manager who might demand a higher wage level. Maybe that's part of that that will factor into it as well. I can't imagine he's on huge money. Maybe not. It's strange that we were happier with a loss than we are with the win. But I think it was the manner of the performance. Uh, You know, Scotland are a good team and we took the lead against them. And with with some improvements, we could have gotten uh, a point. And then against Armenia a team ranked outside the top 90 in the world. We took the leads and relinquished this and had to rely on an absolutely cosmic fluke to get the win. That's the biggest contributing factor to the the current feeling. You know, I did listen to a couple of reviews of the game and journalists were saying, look, we didn't hear any boos after the game, but I did. I was. I did. I don't even say it was sustained. It was 10 seconds, but it was there. So I think he will have the majority of the fan support, but there's an underlying sense that maybe it's we're closer to the end in the beginning. 
if you take the two games on a whole, it's it, you're right. It's the manner of how we lost, which was kind of like, and it's the manner of how we won. But if you look at, we're meant to be as good as Scotland. Let's say Scott, we're on we're on Scotland's level, even though they're now pot two club, whatever. We're meant to be on their level. We're we're going away to Scotland and we're saying we're going to beat Sheen Hamden in Hamden Park. Scotland bet Armenia six one over the two games. We drew three all with them. Armenia put three goals by us. Armenia are the dregs of the group. Yeah, they only scored one other goal in the whole against group, Scotland. Against Scotland. Yeah. yeah. So they, they're um, the dregs. If we're looking at teams and we're saying we're as good as E, but we can't do what they do, it's a little realisation there as well for a lot of fans who think we can go away to Scotland who are unbeaten in eight Nations League games at home, the same as Italy, and beat them. Whereas we've lost seven away. Seven. Our last four we lost away. Yes. All the talk is let's go beat Scotland. Bit of a reality check, I think. That Armenia game was a small bit of a reality check for people. Again. Do you think that their performance against Armenia, the two performances against Armenia, have changed the opinion of the win against Scotland? Like, we thought it was, maybe we turned turned a corner here. But, you know, like the saying goes, form is temporary and class is permanent. Was that the, was it the form or was it the class? Again, that 3-0 win. We bet Scotland at home. We bet them convincingly. You have to back it up in the next game. Like if someone said to you before the start of the group, right, we Scotland, they're going to be second probably in the group or first. How many points do we want to take off Scotland? Well, it's necessary to take four points off them. We have to beat them at home. We have to draw away from them because where's the leeway then? Otherwise, we have to beat the top-seeded team, which we probably won't do. So when you don't go and back up the result, then all the questions arise, which now they are. And it's it's been a problem with Kenny. We fail to back up our biggest results with the game straight after. It's a good point. I kind of want to just be done with the senior team for a minute. <laughs> Leave that in. Might <laughs> uh, actually. Christmas cracker there, uh, Joe. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> All right. We mentioned during the review of the Armenia game that the under-21 playoff against Israel uh, was going ahead at the same time and... I wasn't alone in not returning to my seat after half time to watch the extra time and penalty shootout in that game. And watching it, I kind of felt like Ireland didn't look like scoring. I didn't get to see the the first leg in Tala, but I think there's from what people have told me across the the two legs, we probably didn't deserve to go through. We never led. At all, we were, but you know, we came from behind to equalise in Tala, and obviously never scored in Israel. I felt the the penalties were weak. Um, I was, it, it was very disappointing. It's as close as we've ever come to an actual tournament at under twenty one level, and it might be a while before we we do come this close again. You're kind of looking at the squad, and you're kind of you're wondering who's going to make the step up to. The senior team and possibly Smallbone, Coventry, maybe Cashin. Obviously, Connolly, I think, will return to the, the senior team in, in November for the two friendlies. Yeah, Mark, uh, what were what did you think of the, the playoff and was the right result? I think this will stand to the players. I think this will stand to the manager. I think there's lessons to be learned, particularly in the first leg. I think the players were a little bit nervous. And a bit tentative in Tala. I think this ultimately is where our playoff hopes 
were dashed. I thought the second leg there was much more solid performance in in, in stifling heat in Tel Aviv. Let's let's be brutally honest here. 120 minutes. Israel had recalled three of their senior squad. I think Lyle Abada was one of them. So I mean, Israel reinforced their squad for that second leg, but the first leg certainly. We warmed to the task, but I mean, the Eden Gornal goal straight just before halftime was absolute ball break. Given that it was very 50-50, Israel, look, they've done it in the qualification campaign. They soak up the pressure. They're a big side. They'll look for the set-piece vulnerability, and they certainly looked at it. Brian Mara, I'm a big fan of his, but again, you know, have someone on the near and back post like, I mean... Same for Israel, for Evan Ferguson's goal on that Friday night as well. Again, a new era of defending whatever, but again, two goals could have been prevented really here. But I suppose it's a learning curve. It's unfortunate that the Republic of Ireland under-21s are not getting to the summer finals and getting that exposure, but I think the players have learned a valuable lesson. This is effectively a cup final, two-legged affair. And if the guys don't really learn from this experience, your front foot forward here. Don't be tentative. I think that's probably the lesson. And I think the Tala performance probably was what outdid them. I mean, I thought the away performance was very solid. Joe, fine margins in that penalty shootout. But again, Israel, a little bit more polished in terms of their execution at the end. Again, they've had previous experience getting to this competition, the finals here. So, I mean, there's no disgrace in getting beat by Israel here. It's just unfortunate because the chances were there, particularly in Tala. I don't know about you, Philip. How did you feel about it? I think it was yourself, Joe, that, that mentioned Maher. We were in the in the group chat before the before that goal in the first leg. I thought they were well in it in the first leg. Obviously, I only got to see glimpses of it because it was at the match. Disappointing to get that close. The penalties were, well, two of the penalties were exceptionally poor, but they were kind of out in their feet at that stage as yeah. well. Like at the end of the day, it's disappointing, but it'll stand to a lot of them. A lot of them players are going to go on and play in the senior team. I think, well, not maybe a lot. You've mentioned Smallbone and Conley will come back up. Coventry as well. Um, I thought Hodge was very good in the first game. Came in, he did well. If they can progress, that's what it's about, basically. I know it's disappointing they're not going to the tournament, but if five or six of them can progress, then it's 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 been a success. And look, I think I thought it was great that Aaron Conley got to show his worth as well. He's been out of the international seen for very, a while very good in the first game very exactly good. he looked head and shoulders above everyone else nearly you know he was involved there's a few half chances he, he was very prominent you can see that there's a new lease of life about him which is great to see like evan ferguson as well guys for such a young lad i mean the sky's the limit for this guy as well you know imagine him with obafemi and parrot and Adamida coming through the senior ranks as well so i mean like, you imagine the guys that were actually in the senior squad. Like the Bazunus, the, the Malumbis, you know, Troy Parrots of this world, you know. I mean, you know, I think it was a major accomplishment, actually, for Jim Crawford and the team to actually get here. You know, given certain guys have been called into the senior squad. So, no disrespect and, and no disgrace here uh, for the site, you know. But, it, you know, it's so close to getting to that inaugural summer finals been great experience for both Jim Crawford the manager backroom staff and also the squad of players but you know if it doesn't kill you it makes you stronger hopefully and hopefully with Jim Crawford the, the next batch we'll see more progression 
do you think that the manager will still be there or would they look to to replace him uh, for the next 121 set of qualifiers? I think he's probably in a strong position, is he? Guys, I mean, look at his record, particularly in the group stages. I mean, you know, you could probably say the Italian performance away is probably a poor performance, but like he beat Sweden, he beat Sweden home and away. I mean, there was a few mixed results, but you've got to get that at that level. So I think there needs to be a bit of continuity here. Jim Crawford probably was the first to say that there was probably mistakes made, particularly in Macedonia particularly. But fact of the matter is, I think, you know, given the playoffs, the manner of the defeat, there'll be a few guys here that'll be still in that squad for the next qualification campaign. I think continuity is probably key here. They'd like to go 3-5-2 as well in the under-21s, like in the seniors, an awful lot. So I think... Jim Crawford's probably going nowhere, I would say here, guys. What do you think? I don't think so. I don't I I wouldn't see that the um I wouldn't get the thought process behind relieving him because it, it's such a difficult job as well. You're trying to like you're dealing with how many players really and ins and outs and they're at the whim of the senior team if they want them and there's an awful lot of variables going into managing like an under twenty one side. So I think t- to get them as far as he did and, and some of the performances were brilliant, and they were unlucky, really. At the end, I suppose, not unlucky, but they, you know, they could have won it in the first leg. So I, I can't see, I don't see why they'd replace them. I couldn't see it. Maybe using Fisty Ibrazelli a little bit more, particularly in Tana. You know, might have been a progressively forward step for the manager to take, but this is playoff finals is probably uncharted territory for the whole of the under twenty ones here, and even for Jim Crawford himself such a high marquee game so I can see the understanding of the selection here but um, there will be regrets no doubt on the squad but yeah I think Jim Crawford is the man to, to lead the under 21s into the next qualification campaign no question just from my perspective I thought the tactics in Israel were possibly a bit negative uh, I know we did create one chance right at the very end of the second half of extra time but there was no one in the Israeli box to finish what would have been an open goal I think the coach does deserve to stay on for the next under 21 championship whatever else people can say about him uh they can't take away that he's the first under 21 manager to get this far with uh with a squad and uh i think he deserves to be given a chance to show what he can do with the next batch of players i would like to finish on a on a high note uh the under 19s uh took part in the qualifying round of the 2023 under-19 UEFA Championship, which will be held next summer in Malta, uh, and topped the group with three wins out of three, scoring nine and without conceding, beating host Wales 2-0, uh, Gibraltar 6-0, and a much fancied uh, Hungary side 1-0. We've pretty solid record uh, at underage level of qualifying for the the elite round of the various tournaments over the last few years. But unfortunately, we haven't made too many actual uh, actual tournaments. Uh, I think we've given ourselves a great chance of doing that now. Uh, we will be ranked in the, the top seeds for the elite round and we'll probably be one of the sides that uh, the opposition will, will want to avoid. So great results uh, in, in Wales for Tom Moen and his team. As always in uh, international football breaks, there's been a lot to talk about. I think the way that the performances have gone, it's left us with more questions than answers, which is possibly becoming a hallmark of Stephen Kenny's 
time in charge, along with conceding long-range goals on the right side of defence. I've enjoyed the chat with Mark and with Phil. It felt good to be able to vent a little after coming away from Aviva Stadium on Tuesday night. If I could just end on a on a maybe another down note. Uh, you know, it was announced today that the that Coolio, who was an, another part of our collective childhoods, has has passed on and. I'd like to think that we will see him again one day. Mark and Phil, thanks for joining me again. You can follow Mark on Twitter at Hawkeye Psychic, and you can follow Philip uh, at Philip Flanagan. I've been Joseph McCarthy, and you can follow me at Irish underscore abroad. Okay, Joe. Yeah. Uh, thanks, lads. See you soon. Yeah, thanks, lads. Good chat. Uh, talk to you soon. Um, we'll talk to you soon. Take care.